Coronavirus New Zealand, a daily stuff podcast. I had an encounter with the police this morning. Oh, really? What happened? I, I know some lawyers if you need one. Uh, nothing quite that serious. It was my first encounter since lockdown with a curb crawling lawman. They were a patrol car down at Marangi Bay Beach checking us all out. Um, I said good morning. They said good morning back, but they're a little bit grumpy actually, if I'm telling the truth. I wondered if maybe um, they were missing the real crime. I mean, you know, on the average day you're sicking a attack dog on a burglar or, or you know, chasing down an armed robber or something. Instead, they're down at the beach looking for rogue paddleboarders. Anyway, welcome to Coronavirus NZ for Friday the 3rd of April. I'm Adam Dudding. And I'm Eugene Bingham. We bring you the latest news as well as more unusual, quirky, interesting things about life under lockdown. Hope your day's going better than David Clark, the health minister who had to apologise to his boss, you know, the prime minister, after being busted driving his van to a remote place to go mountain biking, which is not in keeping with the guidelines about staying local for your exercise fix. This was the Twitter story of the latter half of the week, really. I particularly like this tweet from from Liam Hare, who has reposted the picture of um, Clark with his not very anonymous at all van with his face on the side in this empty car park next to the the bike run. Uh, And the tweet says, Anger at Clark was finally quelled when he revealed he had only driven to a remote location to dispose of a dead body, not to go mountain biking. (laughs) Later in the show, Dana Johansson tells us how the sport industry and sports people are coping and reveals the pause in play may have brought for big shakeups in the competitions New Zealanders love. But first, Eugene, what's happened today? There are 71 new cases, bringing the total to 868. 13 people are in hospital, including one in intensive care. Finance Minister Grant Robertson has announced changes to the Companies Act to give businesses more certainty in the face of COVID-19 pressures. In technical terms, he's temporarily absolving them of their insolvency duties. And it's bye-bye to Police Commissioner Mike Bush. The new guy, Andrew Costa, started today, made his mark on day one by telling the troops he's shaved off his beard and they should follow suit. He said the high-performance N95 masks work better if you're clean-shaven. Hmm, interesting. And senior staff journalist Andrea Fance has come up with a really interesting story about a Nelson man who's fallen foul of the rules on bubbles. Yeah, we wanted to know more about that story, so we called her up. Andrea, how's lockdown treating you? Well, yeah, I'm not coping very well with it, I don't think, actually. I thought I thought I was reasonably quite a sober and well-adjusted person, but I am finding myself inexplicably angry about the whole thing and just not, and chafing a little bit at the restrictions. Not because not I don't think they're a good thing, but I think, yeah, I don't know. I've been thinking about it quite a lot and I think about why I've reacted in this way. And I think possibly it's because I grew, I grew up in Northern Ireland and I think that makes me really value my freedom, like my the freedoms that we sort of come to take for granted. Absolutely. Because for two weeks now, we've been living in these so-called bubbles. So can we just go back to the beginning and can you explain to us what was the concept of the bubble? Well, that is the um, $64 million question because I thought before this week, I thought I understood the bubble. I thought that you created your bubble and that could be two households, but you stuck within that bubble. So you could have two groups of people or two single people. And as long as you stuck within that bubble and didn't travel very far, 
and kept contact within that bubble, then you were doing good. You were doing within the rules. And, and the point of that was because not everyone lives a structured life of two parents, 2.4 kids. You know, lives are messy and people have different relationships. And some people live alone or some people live in, in flat shares. And the idea of the buddy system, as Jacinda Ardern called it in her initial press conference, was that people wouldn't have to be alone, that they would have a, a social support system to get the, them through these these four or more weeks. Mm. So two households, one bubble. What went wrong for this guy in Nelson who's in the story that you've written, Cam? I feel really, really sorry and really sad for this guy because he immediately Cam realised the predicament that he was in. He lives alone and he is a very, I don't want to make him sound like a sad sack, he's a very social creature and he has a very busy life, but he happens to live alone. So what he recognised was that he was going to, because of those elements of his personality, he was going to need this buddy system to get him through. So he created a bubble with two friends of his in Nelson who, uh, Ava Weber, is. Uh, she's a German national who'd, who'd moved to Nelson and Amy Bennett had recently moved from Palmerston North. So they were all in this situation. Amy and Ava lived together and Cam was in a different household. They created their own bubble and they live about five minutes apart. So Cam would drive across there and kind of spend parts of the day there um, he's not working either, so his job's on hold at the moment. So he would have spent very, very long hours alone in the house were it not for this bubble. And they thought that that was within the rules, that they were following all the guidelines to the letter. And they're very supportive of the guidelines and very supportive of what the government is um, making us do. So there's no question that they were trying to subvert it or break the rules, anything like that. Then a neighbour saw them, uh, Amy and Cam, walking to the service station just down the road, I think to get some milk or something, and questioned them about it and then went on to call the police. So the police came round on Saturday and asked for their details and basically ordered Cam home, took their names and told him that they weren't, this bubble wasn't allowed to exist, that if he wanted to be in a bubble, then he should be sleeping in the house with them. But they can't do that because it's only a two-bedroom house, so it wasn't practical. So they tried to get some answers from ringing the police and um, and ringing the COVID helpline and it, they didn't really generate any clear picture for them of whether they were breaking the rules or not. So then they rang, they rang us, they rang me and it actually I started making calls on Monday and it, it took me four days to actually get clarification on what, on what was happening. And I, it's still not really even clear, to be honest. So what's happened since your story ran last night? Well, a lot more confusion, <laughs> really. Um, so it's, like I say, I, I bounced back and forward between, first of all, I asked our gallery team to try and clarify what the rules were with Jacinda and her daily press conference and they didn't get an answer. And then again, uh, in an interview with Mike Bush, the police commissioner, and he just pointed us to the COVID website, which doesn't actually address the question or the scenario. Then I asked questions of police headquarters and they put me onto the COVID response team. And I actually had a series of emails backwards and forwards. And then they eventually admitted that the guidelines weren't clear. The Ministry of Health had been wrong in that infographic and that people shouldn't be the only the only um, scenario where you should have two households one bubble is if you are in essential services or you're relying on on this arrangement for shared custody or if you have a family member like elderly who needs care so they set out this criteria but simply living alone and having a, a bubble with two households and multiple people it isn't doesn't fall into that criteria so it's very confusing and then since then since our story ran we I got quite a lot of feedback from people on social media who were extremely confused because they were doing exactly this thing and they thought that they were following 
the guidelines set out by Jacinda. And so I've had a call. I can't really can't really give you an update, but I do know that officials are looking at this. They have admitted that there that there might still be um, some issues with the guidelines, and they're and they're going to try and clarify it further. So there might be an update to the story, and it might be that actually Cam was following the rules and what he was doing was perfectly acceptable, but. It just shows you how unclear the whole thing is. So stay tuned, really. Thank you very much for joining us, Andrea Vance. The OECD has put out some research estimating how various nations will cope with coronavirus. Now, the OECD is like a policy think tank of 36 free market democracies, including New Zealand. So this research says that New Zealand will fare worse than others, and they've estimated there'll be a drop in economic activity of about 30%, compared to 15% in Ireland, 22% in Australia, 25% in the United States. Obviously, the fact that we're a trading nation and we rely so much on tourism was always going to make us vulnerable. Ireland, for instance, which had that smaller figure, they are relying on high-tech industries, which haven't been as badly impacted. So from New Zealand's perspective, there is an element of tell us something we don't know about this report. And there has been some pushback against it here, with economists pointing out that it doesn't take account of things like the wage subsidy and other tools the government is using to fend off the worst of the economic impact. What's interesting is whether the OECD is overreacted this or not, this sort of thing of lives versus economy and jobs is lurking beneath all the decisions that governments are making around the world. Public policy is always about balancing different harms and benefits, but fighting COVID-19 is this really super extreme sort of pointy end of that of that equation. Do nothing, lots of people die. Do too much for too long and seriously break the economy and that eventually does cause deaths too, whether that's due to poverty or running down health funding in the long term and so on. You know, it, you've got to balance your harm. So different countries are choosing different balances. And the maths also comes out completely differently depending on your political and economic philosophies. I've not seen any polls, but you get the feeling there's a pretty high level of buy-in from the New Zealand public so far to the way we're going with this month-long lockdown or however it's going to be. But as time goes on, we have to keep on measuring that balance of, of benefits and harms. There's a piece from Newsroom today where former National Cabinet Minister Stephen Joyce says, the government has broader responsibilities beyond public health. I believe they need to start talking about how businesses can begin to transition out of the lockdown. Now, I think he's teaching Grant Robinson how to suck eggs here because you can be pretty damn sure the government is thinking about precisely that. Of, of course they are. They, they need an economy. But the point here is that views are going to differ about where that sweet spot of health versus economy lies. And as months go by, that conversation is is only going to get louder and maybe more rancorous. I don't know. I've got a confession. Yeah? I missed a really interesting COVID-19 story that was right under my nose. One about bubble mates who were being forced to get to know each other. Oh, yeah, I saw that story. It's, it's a, that was a great story. I really liked that one. Yeah, yeah, it was a good story. It wasn't told by me. But l- luckily, there are some decent journos in the neighbourhood who take up the slack. Should we stop beating about the bush? Okay, yeah, all right. So it was my wife, Suzanne McFadden, who wrote the story for her employer, Newsroom, though you can also now read it on stuff. She found and talked to these two sisters from a safe distance, of course, social distancing, long-lost sisters who have only just found each other after 65 years. And one came out from the UK, just sort of popping in really, to visit the other sister and ended up being stuck here in New Zealand with her long-lost sister. It, it is a very nice story. I like the bit where they talk about they, uh, they're getting to know each other properly by cooking and hanging out. Yeah. But um, 
there must be loads of this sort of thing going on all over the country. Mm. I, um, I know someone who lets out a room, Airbnb or something like that, and they had a paying guest who was meant to be there for a day or three, you know, just as the lockdown was being announced. So as the lockdown loomed, a pair of them had a quick chat and basically said, yeah, I guess, you know, I don't know you at all. You're a complete stranger. I'm just staying in your spare room, but I, I, I think we can probably tolerate each other for a month in the same house. So I want to hear that they're getting on well. There we go. So it, it's the weekend, which feels a bit strange because how do you differentiate the weekend from the weekday when you've heeded the stay-at-home message? But Adam, because we've been on all-day video chat for virtually two weeks and like I literally see you in front of me all day, I thought of something you could try this weekend. Yeah. How do I put this? Uh, do you need a haircut, mate? It's funny you should say that, actually. I, uh, I've i taken a break from looking in the mirror during during the lockdown. It hasn't felt terribly important seeing literally the only person outside my family who's, who sees me is you. But my fringe, if you see my fringe yet, sorry, podcast listeners, uh, you can't see this, but my fringe sounds like this. And it's really long. Keep on getting my eyes and I've been using my glasses anyway. I can't see properly. You've been putting it in a man bun, really. Well, if you take enough of your fringe and you twist it, and if it's sufficiently greasy, you can make this sort of, is it Tweety Pie? Or, you know, that little sort of little curl. It's, it's a fun. man bun. So just hypothetically, if you were going to get a haircut, we're not in Australia where the barbers have remained open. So what are you going to do? Have you ever self-styled, does it work? Can you hear that? That is the sound of my buzz cutter. In truth, I haven't used it for ages. Well, I use it on my, if I'm a beard if it gets too long sometimes. But um, it's been quite a while since on my head that I've gone for the Russian prison style look that, that I noticed that you prefer. But um, That's me. Yes, I guess I could shave my head this weekend. But look, we've got a whole two weeks. And that's been optimistic. Let's be honest, it's going to be more than two weeks to yeah. go. Um, you've got to have things to look forward to. I need some excitement in my life. I reckon I'm going to wait another two or three weeks and then I might shave my head. Oh, what else? Um, news from another former Soviet bloc nation with an interesting approach to COVID-19. In Tajikistan, the New York Times reports, authorities herded thousands of students into a stadium for a Persian New Year party. I didn't know there was a separate Persian New Year. Mm. I about Chinese and Western, but anyway, okay. Yep. At, at, so at this, at this event, the president gave a speech extolling his citizens' cleanliness and gave it as the reason why the epidemic is not taking hold there. So no rules in public gatherings there, obviously. But since we're an equal opportunity eye roller when it comes to foreign leaders, we should remember that UK Prime Minister Boris Johnson tested positive for COVID-19 just after he was telling people he intended to shake hands continuously, despite all the advice from his own health experts. Boris has previously featured in our regular Famous People in Fiction news, but today, Dynamo has got it. So he's the British magician, Dynamo. His real name is Stephen Frayne. He tested positive for coronavirus after he had a persistent cough, severe aches and pains. His symptoms had been severe, but he's apparently feeling better day by day. What's on the play playlist today? Well, it's a special. Former pop star Anastasia has reworked the lyrics to her 2000 hit All Out of Love. You know the one, Adam? Is this like a cover of, you know, Air Supplies? I'm all out of love. I can't no, live just, with that. Don't do that, Adam. Just just play this song. All right. I'm out of death. I can't get clean. I'm at home in quarantine. Could be three days. God forbid. 
some people see the world through sports it's, and that's kind of fair enough because if you think about it it's got everything there it's about character and personalities it's ordinary people and it's celebrity it's business it's religion and like everything else right now sports is in disarray Dana Johansson is a national correspondent for Stuff who specialises in sports and has been reporting on the impact of coronavirus on sports bodies and on players. Dana, welcome. Thank you. How are you coping with no sports to watch and being in isolation and limited exercise ability? I know, it's very, very quiet on the sporting front at the moment, isn't it? It's going to be a long time before we get our live sporting fix, I think. So yeah, managing to keep busy, getting out and about and um, as much as I can and, and yeah, just having fun puzzle evenings and movie nights with my bubble. Oh, very good. And you live in the shadow of Eden Park, where you're near, near to Eden Park. It must be a weird place to be when it's so quiet. Yeah, yeah, it is. I, I take normally take my morning walks through the car park of Eden Park and up towards Mount Eden and yeah it's very eerie at this time and sometimes you normally see the groundskeepers out early in the morning and things like that but no it's just completely desolate at the moment. The lawnmowers have fallen silent. Yes. Yeah. So sports is about sort of people and it's also about competitions and, and business and maybe if we talk first of all about the the sports themselves and the, and the, and the competitions and and start right at the top really the olympics yeah, yeah. It took them a long time to reach the conclusion that everyone else had months ago. But um, yes, finally, the IOC decided that the Olympics can't go ahead this year in 2020. And they've since um, announced a new date, which is basically pushed back exactly a year. So we'll now get underway in, in 2021. Did, did I read somewhere or have I made this up that the merchandise is still going to have 2020 on it? Uh, you've made that up. I've made that no, up. No, right no, I, no. You could well have read that. I haven't seen those stories, but I did see when they did the announcement. They did this very clever. They just added to the O of twenty twenty, just a N E, so twenty twenty one. So in in New Zealand, you know the, the premium sports competitions are yeah they're in chaos. Can you just run us through what's been lost and and what people within those sports are saying about how they're attempting to stem the bleeding. Yeah, it's obviously um, really shown up how flimsy sport is as a business when this complete shutdown that no one could have really envisaged the amount of chaos it's caused. Basically, it's probably easier to go through what is still around because there has been a virtual complete shutdown of all local, national and, and international competitions. The big one we're noticing right now as we come into winter sports season is is the absence of super rugby, um, things like the ANZ Premiership netball, football and rugby league that are no longer around and those organisations are really scrambling to get new competitions in place once we know when this lockdown's over and, and things can get rolling again but um, so for the likes of New Zealand Rugby for instance they've announced this week that they are um, offering a grant to all the super rugby franchises of around $250,000 to, to try and keep those franchises moving and allow them to kind of keep their players in action and likewise Netball New Zealand have have shut down a number of their competitions and they've announced this week that of staff members taking pay cuts and and really working through with the players association about what that means for the players as well in terms of their salary I think once we do see sport up and running we won't see a massive change to the shop window, we'll probably still be the same in, in some way shape or form so we will st still see the Blues and the Hurricanes and the Chiefs out there running about likewise Netball New Zealand is able to keep their domestic thing in place but what we will miss is those competitions that sit underneath it so 
things like the Beco League and Netball have been axed for 2020 um, and all of Netball's other national competitions below that, like national age groups and the Open Championships. Likewise for rugby, they've announced this week that the Heartland Championship won't be running this year along with a number of other kind of more second tier competitions so that's where I think we'll see the main shift and where they're looking to cut costs. What what are people inside the sports at the sort of administrator level saying? I mean are they, is there a sense of hunkering down and getting on with it or are they headless chooks? What's the what's the feeling? Um, yeah I think there's, there's huge anxiety out there but also I think um, for many of, of them and those that are really good leaders are seeing opportunity there as well. Um, for instance, I was speaking with Netball New Zealand this week and um, while it is, you know, really uncertain times for them, their, their key executive staff members have had to take pay cuts. Um, they do see it as, a, as an opportunity to rebuild and address some of the, the things that might have been broken for instance, they're talking about reinvigorating their domestic competition. If there's, We're not certain whether there will be um, test matches for the Silver Ferns yet this year. So they're looking at other ways to fill in that gap. Things like we saw the, the Silver Ferns take on the New Zealand men last year in the lead up to the World Cup. Could that then become a regular fixture? Mm. Um, would they introduce things like a North versus South match, kind of like the Australian state of origin model? So there are real opportunities out there. What about at the community level? I mean, that's where communities come together is at the club rooms and and those sorts of competitions. What's happening with them? It's a really tough time for those communities and that they can't get, you know, the sport is, is is a strong social bond. And when you take that away, I think as we're all feeling right now in our little isolation, it can be really tough without those social bonds. And, you know, a lot of those those clubs in sport that's run at a grassroots level does have a hand-to-mouth existence and we're not getting subs or membership fees in. You know, I've heard of an Auckland club that can't pay their power bill and, and just, you know, has, having to shut down. Oh, really? Um, yeah. But then, you know, sport at that level has always been founded on, on volunteers and, you know, their hard work and blood and sweat. So, um, I think there is also positivity out there that once, you know, they can get their members back and once people can get out and about that they can get some form of competition up and running. It might not be as structured as you would expect your winter sport to be, but there will be some sport in some way, shape or form. Even sports broadcasters, you know, it's been chaotic for them. Radio Sport this week, for instance, gone. Really, really sad to hear that news on Monday. It's obviously had a massive flow-on effect throughout the media and broadcasting industry. Um, Radio Sport is an iconic station. have been running for 22 years. And you used to work the, there? The, I, used, I had a, a, sev- a storied seven-month career at Radio Sport, yes. I have a lot of good friends that have worked there and indeed still do work there. Um, so, yeah, it was not only the shock of losing their jobs, but also the shock of the station that they've loved and given their all to disappearing from the airwaves as well. So um, really, really sad times and really uncertain times for people in the uh, sports broadcasting industry. Yeah, and Sky as well, which heavily relies on sport and is, and is literally invested in sport. How What are they doing? Everything I'm hearing is that Sky is in, is in real strife right now. They've pretty much staked their future in, in buying up all the sports rights. They went around and hoovered up all the sports rights when they started to get you know, competition in the market with, with the advent of Spark Sport. 
And now that we've seen a complete shutdown of sport, they're left without any content and this mass cancellation of, of sporting events has seen a mass cancellation of, of um, Sky subscriptions, as you might expect. So they are really scrambling to get content together to put on their sport channels. We saw this week they've launched Isolation Nation, which is <laughs> seems to go into the homes of all these rugby players who are sitting at home twiddling their thumbs and coming up with trick shots and weird things to do while they pass away the time. Time. Um, but yeah, they are really, really wanting sport to get up and running pretty swiftly, I would say. And I think that's why we saw that desperation from New Zealand rugby really early on um, once we saw um, the Super Rugby cancelled to try to get some form of domestic franchise competition up and running. We've talked about the business side of sports, but the other side, of course, is the people, the athletes. How are those, especially those elite athletes, how are they coping? It's a really uncertain time for athletes right now. In fact, clinical psychologist Karen Nimmo, who I spoke to last week, she describes it as a high-risk time for athletes. And that's simply because, you know, when they're not competing and they don't have anything on the calendar, then um, it can be really tough for them. They're such goal-orientated creatures and they structure their their weeks and their days around um, the next big event and the next thing on their calendar. And when that's suddenly empty, um, it can be really hard for them to to refocus and readjust. So I think for those Olympic athletes that now have certainty around or some form of certainty around what's happening with the Games next year and their kind of uh, return to competition may not be as clear, but they at least have that one thing on the calendar now. But for others like those super rugby players and other players in professional leagues, when the return to competition is still so unclear, it's going to be really hard for them. They need to keep fit. They need to keep involved in developing their skills and stuff. What are you seeing and hearing of what people are getting up to? A lot of them have now kind of returned to, I guess, what you'd what they'd call their winter training or their kind of off-season training regime. So they're, they're really much focusing on the, the fitness and the basics or, and what they can do from their home. So I've seen some quite innovative approaches on social media to their training. Um, we saw Luca Jones with her home gym set up. Um, I saw, sp- speaking to Joseph Miller, who's a sprinter and um had been trying to qualify for his first Olympics this year. Um, I saw him towing a car down one of the streets in Tauranga. He'd somehow strapped himself to a small hatchback and was running down the road pulling this car behind him. Yeah, Holy so um, I think now at this stage in the lockdown, they're kind of in that novelty phase where, um, you know, they're so competitive. They're like, yeah, I'm going to smash this lockdown. And so the challenge yeah. is for them to find new and innovative ways to train when they can't get to the gym. Well, who knows? Could be a time for uh, marble racing to come to the fore. Oh, Adam would love that. I would. <laughs> All right. Thank you very much, Dana Johansson. No problem. That's the Coronavirus NZ podcast for Friday the 3rd of April. I'm Adam Dudding. He's Eugene Bingham. Thank you to Dana Johansson, Andrea Vance, Alex Liu, Catherine George, Patrick Crutzen and Carol Hirschfeld. That's it for our second century, I mean week, of the podcast. As you know by now, hopefully, we're on the Stuff website, stuff.co.nz, and at all the podcast apps. If you're looking for something to do this weekend, you can send us an email, viruspod at stuff.co.nz. By that, he means, I mean, don't email us to come and do something with you this weekend. He means oh, yeah, that send could be confusing. and we email can't. We're in self-isolation. We're in a lockdown. Yeah. That joke will probably not make the edit. La Revedere. Mm-hmm.